All right. Good morning, everybody. Some of you are wondering, what is this guy thinking, right? If that doesn't get you pumped up, I don't know what does. Some of you are just absolutely confused about how people can get that excited about 19 and 20-year-old college men playing football, but some people do. And uh, I don't know if you know this, but it's football season. Did you know that? Okay, some of you knew that. It's football season. Even if you're not uh, a sports uh, kind of person, it's hard to say that videos like that don't get you a little bit fired up, even if it's not your team. And so I specifically chose that one because it's from Clemson. It's far enough away. It's just a random team that happens to have an amazing uh, entrance. I just wanted to pick a, a neutral team today. I know with a lot of emotions running high, uh, we do not show any favoritism here uh, as a church. For pity's sake. So I don't, even, I don't even need to mention the fact that God's team won yesterday. I don't, even need to, I don't even need to say anything about the fact that the overall record between the two teams is so lopsided. We don't even need to talk about it. We don't, we don't even need to mention any of that, right? I think we all know. We're all, we're all clear on that. Okay, gotcha. You, you already knew that. Anyway, you can feel the energy in that stadium. You can feel the excitement. And it's the same thing whether you're at Jack Trice Field or you're at Kinnick Stadium, wherever you are, there's this budge, there's this momentum, this anticipation that something big is about to happen. All the crowds, all the people, they want to be a part of it. Yesterday, uh, and, and the Saturday before and the next 10 or 12 Saturdays, people are going to pack football stadiums in college and NFL all over the country wearing the same thing, chanting the same thing. And you kind of wonder, why? <laughs> What's it all for? There's something bigger that is holding all of that together. And you can almost sense the same thing today. I could feel that when we were worshiping together and, and you're singing together. We're all kind of on the same page. Today is Rally Sunday at all of Hope's campuses. And I know that for many of you that didn't maybe grow up in a traditional church setting or you didn't at least grow up Lutheran, you're wondering what in the world is Rally Sunday? Are we losing? And do we need to put our rally caps? Like what, what is going on with Rally Sunday? Is it some weird Lutheran thing like, like green jello or bad Sven and Oli jokes? Or what, what is this Rally Sunday thing? Not really. As, as it turns out, Rally Sunday has been this tradition that the church has passed down for, I don't know, the last hundred years or so, the last several decades. And it's kind of to mark the beginning of a new year. To mark the beginning of the new school year. I know school's been going on for a while, but this is it. It's game time. It's game time. It's the fall. And, and what they would do is that these churches, nobody would show up in the summer. And they would sort of just shut things down for the summer. And they, they don't have a children's ministry in the summer. Nothing's really going on. Things are pretty quiet. And so they would pick a day in the fall to say, okay, y'all come back now. Right? Like, we still have church. I know a pastor up in Minnesota that everybody goes to the lakes, you know, in the summer. And so one year he decided to put a big old sign out in front of his church in, in May, from May to August, that says, yes, we're still open. And just to remind people, right? Because you think, oh, we just kind of shut things down in the summer, and so we need to rally back from that. The funny thing is, that doesn't really apply to us here at Hope. It doesn't apply to you being a little nostalgic about our summer together now that it's fall and we're kind of back into the routine. I was thinking about it this week. You actually did the opposite. And you may not realize this because as we're, as we're growing, things get spread out and there's so many different things going on. It's important to know what God is doing around you to, to get caught up in it just as the people are getting caught up 
in the stadiums these weeks. You're an amazing church, you know that? Just over the last three months, I'm just talking the last three months, we saw over 200 kids and adults experience the love of Jesus in a fun and exciting way through VBS right here, and so many of you were a part of that. We saw hundreds of school supplies being given to kids at schools and, and, and organizations all over the metro area for, ki- for kids that need those. We had new life groups starting this summer and, and new groups forming and new leaders emerging. Uh, the Breakfast Club ministry continues to exist before this service. Uh, we're out of space. Praise God for that up there. Amen. Praise God for that. Um, that, that continues to grow as many of you are serving uh, with that. Those who were once far from God, got reconnected with him. This just kind of happened in August while some of you were gone. 43 people got baptized at the river, at the Raccoon River this summer. Praise God for that. That was awesome. Uh, And folks, that's just the top. That's just the tip of the iceberg. Those are just a few of the highlights. God did not take the summer off from changing lives. Amen. So many amazing things going on. And as we kick off the fall today, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for being an awesome church. Thank you for being faithful in your worship. Thank you for being faithful in in getting together and growing in community and serving and making that a regular part of your life. And here's the thing. The best is yet to come. Amen? The best is yet to come. I'm really excited about this fall because something powerful happens when we rally together for the sake of something that's bigger than us when we come together around a unified purpose. And that's, that's the power of team. Whether it's a, a small group or a group of coworkers or a family or a football team or a church. But if I'm honest, you want to know what my favorite part of the game was yesterday? I'm talking about the Iowa State game for those of you that are Bears and Packers fans. The game yesterday, my favorite part of the game yesterday, it was not, uh, you know, just how Iowa just manhandled them in every way. It was, it was you know, it, it wasn't the, 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 uh, the Iowa team getting over and taking the Cyhawk trophy or anything. Those weren't, you know, the amazing pass attack. Should I, should I keep going? Um, my favorite part, and it, it has been for several years, is if you get there beforehand, and the, the television broadcast doesn't always show this, but the teams are out on the field and they're warming up. And each team does this a little differently, but I, of course, am watching Iowa, and, and they're all doing their different drills and practices, and they're all divided up by position, and then somehow, whether it's the team captain, the coach, I don't know who does it, blows a whistle or gets their attention, and then they all come together. Iowa State does this too, and they all come together, and they all put one finger up, and they kind of come to the middle, and they rally together. And in that moment, no longer are they, oh, a bunch of different positions, but when the coach blows the whistle, it's rallying time, and from all the corners of the field, they gather together and put their hands on each other's shoulders and come together. And in that moment, it doesn't matter what position they play. It doesn't matter if they are a starter or a bench warmer. It doesn't matter what high school they happen to be from. It doesn't matter how short or tall or, or old or young or what mattered for them is that the next few hours, they were a unified team with a unified purpose. And what we celebrate today and what we're called to refocus on today is a mission that is far bigger than a college football game or even an NFL football game. Look around the room today for a second. Look around at this team that God has assembled. Just kind of look at each other awkwardly and just smile at each other. Make each other feel really uncomfortable, especially the introverts like me. Just kind of look at each other. You are an interesting group of people, but here's the thing. We are all from different hometowns. 
We are all from different church backgrounds. Some of you have no church background at all. Some of us have different preferences in worship. Some of you like church and ministries to be a certain way. Others of us are from the city. Others of us are from the suburbs. Some of us have different social stances. We have different political views. Some of us are young and some of us are seasoned with wisdom. (laughs) See what I did there? Um, And here's the thing. If we let those things define us and say, oh, Hope Des Moines is that kind of a church, or if I'm going to go to that church, I have to believe this, or I have to have this political stance, or I have to have this sort of view, or I have to be a certain way, or be more city-like, or dress a certain way, or act a certain way, we will naturally get pulled apart. What keeps those teams together, and you talk to some of these people, It's like a family to be on a sports team. So why would it be any different for us when we're called to be the family of God? If we stay together, if we choose to major in the majors and the things that we can let divide us and and let us get bitter and angry or frustrated, if we choose instead to major in the major instead of minoring in the minors, what are the things that hold us together? There, There was this man named Jesus that lived and died and rose again, and he's here today to offer you life, not more religion. He's here to offer you life abundantly now and forever. That's what we're called to focus on, amen? That's what brings us together. There is no other place that this group of people could be as unified as we are and come together every single week but the church. That's something that the church offers that nobody else can offer anywhere. In fact, in the early church, very early on in the book of Acts, they had their own sort of rally Sunday as well, and it's something that we call Pentecost. Everybody say Pentecost. And we find it in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And we're going to throw this verse up on the screen. A lot of the followers of Jesus had gathered together, and they were in the upper room. And they were waiting for these final words from Jesus. He said, stay there until the power comes on you. And let's read this together, what they're told in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Let's read this together. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So up until this point, just like the football teams on the field, Jesus' followers have been scattered all over. Your leader just got crucified, right? So now they're called to rally together. And when they rally together, they get their mission of what it's called to be the church. And that's to be witnesses to the resurrection, to say this is what we have seen and heard, and it is absolutely amazing. In fact, it's because of our diversity, as you look around this room as as a church, and and our size as a church, that means that among us there's going to be a lot of different ideas of what it means to be the church. And if we're going to enter into a new school year together, we should probably figure out what what are we doing here? What is it that we have been called to do? And depending on your church background or how you were raised or how you tend to view scripture, we have a lot of different ideas on what is the church, who or what is the church. Some of you have had negative experiences with the church and you're just starting to come back and we're so glad that you're here. This is a safe place for you. Some of you are still trying to figure out what you believe, but here's what I often wonder. If this or the Bible that you have in front of you today, if this was all we had, particularly the book of Acts and the Gospels as we follow Jesus around through his life. If, if that's all you had and you just read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then maybe the beginning of Acts when the whole thing gets started, 
what would we believe about the church? Put, put all your other assumptions, put all your other baggage, put all your other negative experiences aside, if you can, and just say, what if we only looked at this? Just take it at its word. What would that look like? Just looking at the context here. And so you, you start out, and we see just right away here in the book of Acts, followers of Jesus are gathered together. And, and all they know is we've got people that have been following Jesus for three years. He changed their life. He died. And then he rose from the dead in front of them. And now all these people are sitting around going, uh, what's next? What do we do, right? So if we're going to define what is the church, what does it mean to be a part of the church? Number one is to be followers of Jesus. Plain and simple. There's nothing about a building. There's nothing about church services. Number one, we are disciples. We are followers of Jesus. But next, keep reading. Verse 8, Jesus says, you will be my witnesses, so go. Essentially, Jesus gives them the green light. You are sent. You have a mission to do what? To be my witnesses. It is impossible, it is biblically impossible to be a Christian and not live outside of yourself and not live for the sake of others. I don't see anywhere in the early church or anywhere in the Gospels where we see, and they went to a church service, listened, and went home. Maybe your Bible's different than mine, but might need to check that. What is the church? Followers of Jesus on a mission just like the, the Blues Brothers, right? We're on a mission from God, right? Followers of Jesus on a mission. And finally, after they are sent out and they start to grow, what do they do next? They form small groups. They have a group launch at the church and they all get together and they print off their name tags. And they, No, they just start meeting in each other's homes. They're like, hey, there's so many of us, there's no way we can actually be community together, so we're going to break up into little groups because this is what it means to follow Jesus. We need each other. And so they start to live like family. They start to gather together. Live like family. First two chapters of Acts, that's all I'm looking at. I'm looking at their response to who Jesus was in the Gospels, and that's what we see. What does it mean to be the church? Followers of Jesus sent on a mission, living like family. Nothing about a building. Nothing about a denomination. Nothing about a certain worship style. Nothing about the size of the church that makes or breaks if you're a real church or not. Nothing about an amazing worship band. All those things are good, but ultimately, those things cannot define us. This gives us a pretty clear picture of what it is that we're called to do. If you think about it, our identity fuels our activity. What does this mean? This means that we are first and foremost disciples. Everybody say disciples. We are servants, everybody say servants, we're sent on a mission, and if we're going to live like family, well, Jesus just says it, you're family, you're my brothers and sisters, you're a child of God, as we sang this morning. That's who we are. If that's our identity, let's let our identity fuel our activity. I was thinking about it this past week. My identity that's very upfront and personal right now is a father. How many of you uh, have been a father, are a father right now? 
grandfather, yeah. When, when that's the reality for you, you can pretend that it doesn't exist, but you're not going to be a very good dad, right? You're not going to live into your identity, especially parents of young kids. There are certain things that we do on a daily basis that if that was not my identity, it would seem very odd <laughs> to the world that I'm doing that. So this is how my life has changed in the last two years. This past week, I kept track. This is what I've done, uh, a few highlights from the past week. I have made a ramp for race cars with our dining room table leaves. I have wiped macaroni and cheese off of the ceiling. I have fake shoveled the driveway to get all the snow off. I have dug Cheerios out of an infant's mouth put there by her brother. And finally, I have said the words, Caleb, please stop eating the hosta plants. So because my identity is father, that leads me to do some pretty strange and incredible activities. Because my identity is father, my mission is managing chaos. Okay? Likewise, if our identity is disciple, servant, family, the question is then, how shall we live? The idea is that we're always growing, we're always connecting as family, and we're always serving. That's our identity as the church. So the, if you look at that, the question is far less, should I go to church this week or not? The question is far less, like, should I join a small group or should I like serve or do something around here? Those, those questions don't make sense. It's like me getting up in the morning and saying, I don't know, you think I should be a dad today? Maybe my kids will just give me the day off, right? And our three-month-old can just feed herself, for pity's sakes, right? No, you live into your identity. The question is, the goal for us as the church is how can I be the church? God, how have you called me to be the church? Pull out that brochure that you have really quick. We've been talking about this the last several weeks, and I want you to just kind of look through that. And the idea is that that's giving you a snapshot of all the different ways that you can get connected. The question is not should I or shouldn't I, the question is, how will I? How has God called me to be the church? And whether this is your first time here today or you've been coming for a long time and you're just kind of disconnected, this is an all play. This is for all of us. And we don't want you to miss it. There are dozens of things, ways to get connected in that brochure. We ask that you ask God, how am I going to grow as a disciple? How am I going to serve? How am I going to live like family? If that's who I've been called to be. What does that look like? What's your next step? The goal is to be the church. And so the other thing I want you to look at, and you don't have to do it right now, I want you to think about it, but under every single one of your chairs this morning is a piece of black paper. You don't have to take it out right now. I don't want you to bend it or it's not for a paper airplane. I know it may be tempting. Later on in the service, I'm going to have you write down on that piece of paper how you believe that God has called you to be the church this fall. And I don't want it to just be some flippant thing that you write down just to participate. I want you to think about it. I want you to pray about it as we go through the rest of the message today. I want you to think about that. And I think about, God, what is it that you have called me to do? You'll look around in our, our, our new set that we have here that our creative team put together. Praise God for that, by the way. Pretty cool, huh? All these pictures... These are pictures, some dating back seven years, the very beginning of us being the church, and there's more up on the loft today and around the building. These are pictures of us being the church. And the question I want to ask you this morning is, 
You want to join the photo album? Or you want to sit there for the next seven years and go, wow, that looks like fun. Or do you want to get involved? Do you want to join the story? Do you want to write your chapter of the story? You're, you're a good-looking church. You're a really good-looking church. It's time to join the story. It's time to keep writing the story. There are dozens of opportunities just waiting for you. But the reality is, for most of us, instead of living life right in the middle of the action, right in the game, and rushing the field to get involved, most of us live life right here, on the bench. And if you don't know, benches are normally on the sideline. I've rarely seen a bench in the middle of the field where the action is. And for, for too long, the church has assumed that this is where life is meant to be lived. I'm good, I'm comfortable, I don't really have to do anything, and I can just come and observe. One of the most, the saddest things about watching a football game is watching the shots of the bench. Well, first of all, because they're getting paid millions of dollars to sit on the bench, but you're not. Most of people live life on the bench. A lot of Christians live life right there, and some of you will live your entire Christian life on the bench, on the sidelines, instead of in the game where you belong. For some of you, it's feeling disconnected. For some of you, it's feeling, I, I don't really know my place, and so I, I don't want to wander out into the field because I don't really know if I have what it takes. I, 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 people, if you're, if you're like me, sometimes you just doubt whether God can use you. You kind of look at your past week, you look at your past, I didn't, you know, I didn't really grow up in the church, I made some mistakes, I, I kind of got disconnected. I don't think God could really use me. God doesn't use people like me. Some of you are wondering, I don't know, I just don't know if I have what it takes to go all in with Jesus. I don't know. And you're sitting on the bench, and if that's you, well, you're in good company this morning because that's exactly who our story is about. I want to tell you about a friend named Zach. Everybody turn to Luke 19. That's where we're going to be at today. Luke chapter 19. If you've got your Bibles, I'd encourage you to, to grab those, and if you don't, take one of these home. We'd love for every person to come walking through those doors with the Bible in your hands. Speaking of being on the bench of life, speaking of being on the sidelines and being taken out is, is our friend Zacchaeus. Luke chapter 19 is it towards the, the back of your Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's on page 801. And so here's the story of Zacchaeus. And he is literally sitting on the bench of life. And some of you are wondering, wait a minute, John, the story says he's a wealthy tax collector. I've heard the story before, right? For those of you that did grow up in Sunday school, how does it go? Zacchaeus was a, and a wee little man was he. Should I keep going? He climbed up in a sycamore tree. Oh, that's where I lose you. For the Lord he wanted to see. You weren't paying attention in Sunday school. And as the Savior passed his way, he looked up in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down for the Lord he wanted to see. How about that? Right, there you go. I paid, yeah, thank you. I'll be here all week, right? That's what being a pastor's kid gets you, right? No, 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 Zacchaeus isn't on, he's not on the bench. He's, he's wealthy and he got to meet Jesus. Oh, you need to understand the story. You think you're down and out. You think that you've been disqualified. Tax collectors 
were about right here on the social status in Jesus' day, and prostitutes were about right here. People hated tax collectors because they worked for the enemy. They worked for the Roman government. And tax collectors could, could they were like IRS agents that, w- that would go out and they could charge whatever they wanted to charge. So if you need to pay $50 for taxes, Zacchaeus is coming to your house and he's charging 100 And guess where the other 50 is going? Woof, right in his pocket. People hated tax collectors. And, and, and because of that, you would have to imagine that Zacchaeus was pretty lonely. And I would have to imagine that there was some guilt and there was some shame and some emptiness because you know as well as I do, you can't take anything with you. When this life ends, it doesn't matter how much money you've accumulated, what your job was, you can't take it with you. And some of you are saying, no, he's all rich. He's, things are going well for No. I would imagine he was pretty lonely. On the outside, all put together. On the inside, riding the bench. Not in the game at all. Disconnected. Lacking the one thing that he wants the most, and that's friendship. Any of you feel like you're sitting on the bench alone today? Lacking maybe just one or two good friends that (laughs) really understand you? Well, then you'll understand Zacchaeus' predicament. On the outside, everything great, but he is on the sideline until we pick up the story. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he had become very rich. Verse 3, he tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. You see, Zacchaeus was going to all lengths to see Jesus, not because he thought that he was worthy of it, but because he had heard, in a couple previous chapters before this, we had heard that Jesus is starting to get a reputation that he hangs out with sinners, that he hangs out with people that kind of look funny and act funny and are kind of messy and dirty and, 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 and just don't fit in with everybody else. Jesus was a friend of sinners. Jesus was a friend of bench warmers. Jesus was a friend of people that hang out in trees because they're too ashamed to be down with everybody else. And Zacchaeus had kind of caught wind of this, and so you wonder why he's doing what he's doing, but Zacchaeus is likely thinking to himself, maybe, just maybe, this Jesus could meet me where I'm at. Maybe, just maybe, this, this Jesus could come and, and when he sees what's underneath my mask, he actually, maybe he'd forgive me. And some of you are wondering that today. Some of you are wondering right now, if I, if I really show Jesus who I am, the reason I'm on the bench, because I'm bitter at the church, because I'm bitter at a friend, because I had a bad experience, because I'm tired, because I'm overwhelmed, because I'm stressed out, because I'm disconnected from Jesus, if he really knew the last time I actually read the Bible, if he really knew the last time that I prayed, I've been away from church for so long, if Jesus really knew, would he like what he finds? Verse 4, so Zacchaeus ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. And Zacchaeus is wondering, this is a long shot. Is he even going to see me? 
Verse 5, when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, and then let's read this together up on the screen. Quick, come down. I must be a guest in your house today. Yes, you read that correctly. Jesus just invited himself over for dinner. He does that. He's kind of obnoxious like that, but he did that. And you have to understand this. When Zacchaeus was up in that tree, his biggest need was not just to see Jesus. His biggest need was not just to give his money away. His biggest need was to be seen and to be befriended. When you invite yourself over to somebody's house, that's a little forward, first of all, but when you invite somebody into your house in Jesus' day, that was a sign of friendship. It was a sign of saying, I want to have a deep, long-lasting relationship with you. You're not on the bench anymore, Zacchaeus. You're in the game. Why? Because God is coming over for dinner. Not to anybody else's house, not to the religious people, to your house, Zacchaeus. You're in the game. When Zacchaeus was up in that tree, Jesus saw into his heart and saw that the deepest need that he had was loneliness. And some of you are so lonely today. You have 8,000 friends on Facebook and 2,000 followers on Twitter, and you don't know anybody. You know lots of people, but they don't know you. They don't know the real you because you're on the bench, not in the game. And so there's Zacchaeus now up on his perch And he has two options. He can stay on the bench. He can stay up in the tree and right where he is. Or he can come down and let Jesus change his life. There's somebody else that was on the sidelines of life just like Zacchaeus that's in that same predicament. Is he going to keep going or not? Or is he going to quit? You might know him as Rudy because you can't have a rally Sunday without Rudy. And those of you who know this story well, Rudy, his dream is to play football for Notre Dame. And at the last minute, after four years of day in and day out being on this team, he doesn't make the dress list. Some of you are here today. Let me just say, this has nothing to do with football. I use lots of sports analogies. This has nothing to do with sports. This has to do with you and your life. And some of you, just like Rudy in this scene, you're ready to give up. You're ready to say, I've had it. You're ready to say, life is too hard. I'm too stressed out. Whatever it is that you're facing, I'm ready to give up on God because I don't know if I believe or not. And just like he often does, God comes along and he brings certain friends into our lives that speak the truth and challenge us. And that's Rudy's friend. His name is Fortune, oddly enough. And when Rudy's about to quit and give in and stay up in that tree and stay on the bench... His friend comes and speaks some valuable truth into his life. Let's take a look. It's a lot easier to stay on the bench. (laughs) Fortune says to Rudy, just like Jesus says to Zacchaeus, and now says to you here this morning, are you going to let this life get the best of you? Or are you going to get back out in the game where you belong and be the church? There is way too much at stake to stay on the bench. There is way too much at stake to not be the church. Jesus is standing at the bottom of your tree, whatever that is, whatever's keeping you up in your tree this morning, wherever you find yourself, in your doubts, in your fears, in your stress, in your frustration, even in your apathy or in your complacency. Jesus stares up at you in your tree and he says, will you come down from there so that I can give you what you really need? 
This isn't about football. This is about you. And the question is, what's holding you back? Maybe like Zacchaeus, it's your past. It's your guilt. It's your fear. He doesn't want anything to do with me. Maybe like Zacchaeus, for him, it was misplaced priorities. For him, it was money. But for us, it's these more innocent things like busyness. Some of you are on the bench, and yet you look so busy, but you're not accomplishing anything. What are you going to do this fall that's going to matter for eternity? What can you take with you? And I'll give you a hint. It's relationships. It's community. It's being family. It's going on mission together. It's things that are going to last forever. And to do that, you got to get up off the bench, you got to come down from your tree, and you got to get into the game. Misplaced priorities. We say, oh, right now is not a very good time to get involved. You know, there's always going to be something that comes up with, uh, down with work or with the kids or my hobbies. And Jesus, then I'll come down and join you. I'm just going to hang up here in the tree for a while. It looks a little silly when you think about it. Life was never meant to be lived up there. And Jesus says, come down from your, your busy, hectic lifestyle. Come down from your half-hearted Christianity. Jesus says, come down from your insecurities about community and friendship. Maybe it's time to take Alpha. Maybe it's time to take Core. Maybe it's time to come down from your tree. And he didn't have to come down, but he did. Verse 6, Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. Guilt, fear, Shame, anxiety, doubt, disconnectedness, excitement, and joy. Life. Which one are you going to choose today? Will you come down? Verse 8, meanwhile, check out, check this out. Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if I have cheated anybody on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. <laughs> what? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Is this the same person? But what we understand from Zacchaeus' story is that when your life has been changed and Jesus has changed you with his love from the inside out and you realize that all of life is a gift of pure grace, you realize that being all in for Jesus is the only option. It is the only logical response, and you and I have been given the same offer today. To get off the bench and get into the game. Picture with me again the game yesterday, and imagine that you spent tons of money to get front row tickets at the 50-yard line or the best skybox that they had at Jack Trice, and you shelled out the money, and you were so excited to see your favorite teams play, and both teams came running out on the field, and out they come, and they did all their warm-ups, and then they both went to their respective sidelines, and they huddled up for a minute, and then five minutes, and then 15 minutes, and you're like, what in the world is going on? And then a half an hour, and then an hour, maybe an hour 10. And they turn around, and they go back into the locker rooms, and they're done. Wait a minute, you say, I, I, I didn't, I didn't, the, the point is not for them to huddle up, the point is for them to play the game. How, oh man, how silly, how ridiculous that a group of people would come and huddle up for an hour and ten minutes once a week just to turn around and go back into the locker room having never played the game. Pfft, that would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? We're called to be the church. 
We're called to be the church. And I, I don't want you to miss the point. And there is a reason that we put these images up. There's a reason that they're all over this building. Because they're pictures of you. They're pictures of our story together. And I want you to hear this today, even if this is your first time here, even if you're a person that comes and just pops in, listens to the sermon, hope it's not too boring, and then you're going to leave and go on with your life. I want you to hear this today. You are more a part of this story than you realize. Because God brought you here today for a reason, and he has a plan, and he has a purpose for your life. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. That should be enough right there. For I know, God says, he knows the plans he has for you. Maybe we should ask him. Maybe we should say, God, how have you called me to be the church this fall? You have an essential part to play here. You have a role to play, and I don't want you to miss that. And so what I want you to do is reach under your seat, and every single one of you should have a little black sheet of paper in there. And about every other chair or so, there should be some silver markers and you're going to need to share. You're going to need to get along with each other. So when you're done with it, just elbow the person next to you nicely. But I want to just be still for a little bit. I want you to be fully present. And when you're done writing, you can share with the person next to you. And I want you to fill in this sentence. This fall, God is calling me to be the church by fill in the blank. It can be something general like loving kids. It could be something very, very specific like driving the, the bus for our transportation for breakfast club. Could be big, could be small. This fall, God is calling me to be the church by, write that down and write it large enough that it can be seen because what we're going to do here in a little bit, when I get done yakking at you, when the service is done, we're going to have a whole bunch of people up here in the front of the stage, and they're going to take your picture. Every single one of you. And some of you are saying, I don't really want to do that. Let me just say this. If you really love Jesus, you'll come on up. I'm just saying it, right? All the cool kids are doing it. And we're going to make a collage around one of our huge banners out there in the lobby to remind ourselves that the church is not a building. The church is you. How is God calling you to be the church. Every single one of you has a part to play. So Jed's just going to play a little bit up here on the keys and we're just going to be still and we're going to be in prayer. We're going to ask God, what part have you called me to play? Where do I need to get off the bench? Where do I need to come down from the tree and get into the game with you, Jesus? It's rally Sunday, folks. Every single person can write something down. God has called every single one of you to something. To something. That may be re-engaging with my spouse. That may be loving my kids well. That may be holding some kids in the nursery. That may be cleaning the floors or setting up chairs or taking a class or serving on one of our teams. How has God called you to be the church? And when you're done, Share it with somebody else. Keep that paper with you. Take some time to reflect. And we'll wrap up.
wanted to share mine with you. There are often days around here where it's not always easy being in the church. It's messy and it's hard. And because I only work on Sundays, I get the rest of the week to just rest and relax. But I believe that God's called me to, to lead courageously. To no longer be a slave to fear, as we sang this morning, which so often creeps up. What is it that God's called you to do? And as the rest of you kind of finish up and put those finishing touches on it, you know the Rudy story didn't end there. He got off the sideline. He didn't quit. And I want you to watch what happens when Rudy gets back into the game. And let that be a reminder to you that when you get off the bench and you start living God's purpose and God's plan for your life, it affects way more people than you would ever realize. And you write the story. You write stories like this movie that reach down deep inside and grip you and say, someday I want to do something meaningful like that. Don't wait another day. Watch Rudy. Watch what happens when you get off the bench and get into the game. Let's take a look. And this morning, your Heavenly Father is standing, watching you, cheering you on, saying, I am so proud of you. I am so proud of you for not giving up. It's time to be the church. It's time to be disciples and servants and live like family and watch how God changes lives through us this fall. I am so proud of you as a church and more importantly, your heavenly father is. It's time to play the game. It's time to be the church. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and pray together. God, as we hold these pieces of paper that are so much more than that, their they're dreams, their plans, their ideas, their visions, but most importantly, they're things that you've given to us, that you've laid on our hearts. And we don't want to just be hearers of the word, we want to be doers of the word. God, thank you that you've not called us to be idle in our faith but to put the foot on the gas and to be who you've called us to be. Jesus, we hear you say to us this morning, come down. Come down and come out of hiding wherever you are. You are, you are needed. I pray that we hear those words loud and clear this morning. Come down. Come down and be the church. Get off the bench and be the church. Be who you've been called to be. God, we love you and you thank you for the vision that you've given us. And I pray that Des Moines would be different this week, this month, this fall, and this year because of what happened here today. Jesus, we love you. And all God's people said together, amen. amen.